you can make one choice and you don't need to spend any time on stitching together your own tool chain. We have a principle we call first party equals third party. We try things on ourselves that forces us to have a certain discipline about picking the important problems first. The life cycle of your product or your service is a lot shorter than it was a decade ago. Hi, I'm Paul Berger, founder of CircleCI. I'm Edith Harva, CEO and co-founder at LaunchDarkly. And you're listening to To Be Continuous, a podcast about continuous delivery and software development. You can get in touch with us anytime at our Twitter handle, at ContinuousCast. The show is brought to you by Heavybit. To learn more, visit heavybit.com. And while you're there, check out their library, home to great educational talks from other developer company founders and industry leaders. So what do you like about continuous delivery? You get to move faster, you get to experiment more, and you get to connect developers and users without all the waste and all the uh, barriers in between. Well, now, now would be a good time for you to introduce yourself. I'm Sam Guckenheimer. I'm uh, from Microsoft, Visual Studio Team Services, which is a SaaS for um, continuous delivery and for hosting Git and for agile planning and the basis of the one engineering system in Microsoft. So you must see a really broad spectrum of users. How, how do you see people starting to adopt continuous delivery in real life? Well, you're right. Uh, uh, it ranges from, uh, for example, what we see internally with the one engineering system where we have uh, 75,000 engineers in Microsoft as customers. 75,000? Yeah. Wow. Is this the, yeah. the GISH uh, migration thing that, that, that we all read about online? So that was part of it. The, um, uh, uh, the thing you read about online was, was the migration of um, Windows and Devices Group mm-hmm. onto Git when we, uh, w- we had this problem with, with the WDG. They, they have a 270 gigabyte repo as their core repo. It's one of 400 repos. Mm-hmm. Um, that with classic Git took 12 hours to clone. Now, uh, that's if it was successful, meaning your laptop didn't go to sleep or mm-hmm. the network didn't burp or, you know, the Wi-Fi didn't screw up. And if any of those things happened, you had to start over. So we ended up having to fix Git for that mm-hmm. and created the Git virtual file system, which gave us roughly 300x improvements in in performance and, and uh, has given us more since. Um, uh, so that's something that we announced and open sourced, um, uh, I think not quite a year ago now. Uh, it's, it's in our hosted service and it's in our on-prem offering as well. Uh, that's a part of it, hosted Git. We also have uh, uh, CICD mm-hmm. uh, service as part of it and uh, agile work management, you know, with things like Kanban and, and dashboards and uh, data analysis services as part of it. That's the weirdly named Visual Studio Team Services. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, uh, it in fact works with any IDE, IntelliJ, Eclipse. Right, all, all the ways you can write code. Yeah, any way you can write code, mm-hmm. and um, uh, so that's I mean that that's the product group I'm in, and that that's what we use internally on the on 
well, one ES, the one engineering system. Um, to, to your question, Edith, about the, the range of customers you see, we, we see everything from classic folks who are very aware that they move slowly and are highly regulated and will say, well, we're not really a technology company, to uh, startups who, you know, say we're just a few people and they can, they can sign up for free and we, we love both and we serve both. One of the things I try to do is to uh, share as much as I can about our own experience. So I curate a website, DevOps at Microsoft, aka.mswack DevOps, and um, share things like how we use Git and uh, how we uh, changed our test portfolio. Um, an example is that in my talk yesterday at, at Index, I was showing how we use our, our pull request policies to uh, run 70,000 tests in about six minutes, and uh, that's on every pull request uniquely. And if any of them fail, we fail the pull request. Uh, and if a code review doesn't happen within 12 hours, we fail the pull request. So we get all changes reviewed, mm -hmm. which we need to do for some of the compliance certifications. Um, and we get uh, a very high test reliability signal in the pull request pre-CI. Mm -hmm. And then if all of those things pass uh, and security test passes, the uh, pull request is squashed, merged into master and triggers a CI build. What it means is that in practice, we, we will fail about one in four, one in five pull requests, but we'll only fail like one in 50, one in 100 of the CI builds. And then post CI, we'll do a second round of testing uh, through the REST APIs and with test data like fake identities and, and so forth. And uh, those will let run for an hour and those all need to pass as well. Mm -hmm. So by the time we hit production, we have had a very high confidence green signal on the changes that are going out. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that really uh, gives you the freedom to deploy frequently and, and it gives us the freedom to know that we can uh, remediate quickly, uh, um, in our case, across about 15 data centers worldwide. Mm -hmm. um, so one thing I find very interesting about this is that the the sort of way that you're describing it, it's, it's a very it's a very integrated system. Mm -hmm. So in 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 my past life, when when I was at Circle CI, we we dealt with a uh, with sort of the GitHub ecosystem. You know, yep. the, the lots lots of tools that you know very sharp tools that did one thing well. Um, and and in my my new startup, I, I'm very much uh, more in the uh, let us make one tool that 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 does everything and 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 is awesome. What's that experience like for your customers? Where or and even for for the people who are working on the system, where where you have that that sort of one holistic system? What what can you do that you can't do the, the other way? Well, uh, so first of all, for us, it's a both and. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we have uh, six hundred some uh, marketplace partners. Mm -hmm. uh, Edith's company launched Darkly is mm -hmm. is a great example of one of those. Mm -hmm. um, I've and, heard of them. And hey, thanks for wearing the shirt. <laughs> and you can think of, of this as a world with a whole bunch of coopetition. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, so if you want to use our hosted Git and then uh, use CircleCI for the pipeline, that works. If you want to use GitHub and then use our CI/CD uh, to deploy, that works great. If you want to start a project, quote a DevOps project on Azure, uh, it's VSTS underneath that's driving that. If you want to do um, uh, our Kanban and then uh, use you know, GitHub or mm-hmm. GitLab or, or anything else. And then our pipeline, you can do all that mix and match. Mm-hmm. The benefit of the mix and match is that if you have parts of a tool chain today, you don't need to switch. So you can, you can adopt in a stepwise way. The benefit of offering both best of breed and highly integrated is that for a customer who is new to a DevOps way of working, you can make one choice and try it, and you don't need to spend any time on stitching together your own tool chain. So this is definitely a shift from the Microsoft of the past. <laughs> oh, yeah. it's uh, If you mean the Microsoft of five years ago, it definitely is. I mean, one of the things uh, I talked about uh, yesterday at Index was... Um, uh, our open source contributions. If you look at last year, 2017, the company with the highest number of contributors to open source on GitHub was Microsoft. And uh, Google was a little bit behind, and then everyone else was way behind, um, uh, if you look at that. So we're, we're not just doing this in terms of sharing our own work internally. We're doing this in terms of sharing work with the community in GVFS. Uh, the Git virtual mm-hmm. file system is a great example of uh, something we open source. We're one of the, I think, uh, if we're not the top, we're one of the top two contributors to Git, uh, top three to k- Kubernetes and so forth. You're pretty senior at Microsoft. I mean, I know you were, at what, what, what led to this change of direction? I think it's both top down and bottom up. Uh, for example, we had our quote, one ES day or one engineering system day internal conference last week. And I... Uh, so by the way, this is such immense scale that like you have 75,000 developers just using your own systems. Yeah. So I had a, you know, I had a few VPs on on this panel with me. Uh, one of them is Gabe Ball from uh, Windows and Devices. And um, he made a very clear point that the most important metric for them is engineering satisfaction with the engineering system. So in other words, how happy are you with the tools and process? And um, how much does it, does it improve your work? And is it better than three months ago? And so on. And that is, that is for them the most important metric. And he made the observation that not only is it going up, but it is also bimodal. And the uh, younger or less tenured engineers are showing a much faster rise in SAT than folks who've been around for a long time. And he said, you know, and the the folks who've been around for a long time are are experiencing the who moved my cheese, (laughs) right? Um, And the young ones are like, finally, you know, you're working the way we thought we were supposed to work. Mm -hmm. and, And this is what we want to do. And he pointed out, that's what we're optimizing for. We're optimizing for that next generation. Uh, and that's an example of the 
the sort of top-down leadership. The bottom-up is exactly that um, this is how uh, people want to work. They yeah. want to work with the new normal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the new normal is is not that you click file new and get a website on your laptop. That was 20 years ago. The new normal is that your hello world includes a pipeline mm-hmm. and is de- is deploying and that your uh, next commit gets deployed. And that's how people start. So from, you know, day one from... From the first few minutes, you want the pipeline as part of what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it, it's really interesting this um, this sort of way of viewing the world because the um, the younger people uh, vastly outnumber the older people. So the number of people who are coming into this industry now um, is is at an all time high. And like the I think I was reading recently, the number of people who who graduated boot camp last year was like twenty three thousand. Um, whereas typically about 50,000 people in the U.S. graduate CS in college. So like we're maybe maybe doubling the number of people who, who, who are roughly joining the industry every year. Um, and so like the, the people who, who had their cheese in the old place <laughs> must, must be a tiny number. I mean, it might be more at Microsoft, but like is a tiny part of the industry relative to, to the amount of people who are, who are coming in now and, and who are familiar with, with the new way of doing things. They're, they're, they're sort of being outbred almost. Yeah, I think that's true, and that's true 10x if you look at it globally. Mm-hmm. In other words, if you look at the uh, number of uh, new CS graduates who are minted in India and China mm-hmm. and countries that we used to call, quote, emerging, mm-hmm. uh, they way outnumber the number who, who graduate in the U.S., mm-hmm. And they expect to work this way too. Mm-hmm. And we can't myopically focus on, you know, the U.S. or mm-hmm. North America. I mean, we we as a company have a, a majority of our business outside of the U.S. We need to play not just as a um, supplier, but also as an employer and a contributor in all those markets. Mm-hmm. So uh, we hire there. We grow development centers there and and you know we want to be the place where people want to be so you're you're 75,000 developers and I just keep coming back to this that's a great quote um a great number like how do you then relate that like what works at Microsoft scale might not work for somebody smaller or or vice versa like or, or I guess the bigger question is what are you seeing amongst the, the the base of how are people adopting continuous delivery and all these trends so we have a principle we call first party equals third party. In other words, we try things on ourselves and make them work as part of our one engineering system and then take them to market through things like VSTS. So I would not say that things that work for us don't work for people who are not at the same scale. There are some things we need to do because we are at bigger scale that you don't need to do if you're, you know, five people. Or even like 400. Right, or 400. Absolutely true. Um, but the, the, the case I always make is, is look, we, we didn't start cloud native. You know, we um, have these long code lines, including in my group. We started with an on-premise team foundation server, which was 
frankly, written as a monolith. And we uh, have been over years refactoring that into microservices, is slicing the elephant one piece at a time. And uh, doing that forces us to have a certain discipline about picking the important problems first. Mm. Um, now, I regularly meet with customers who are you know, starting that journey, and I regularly uh, make the point, look, here's what we did, and uh, it wasn't all that unlike where you're starting now, and you don't need to uh, say, oh, uh, we we can't get there. We, mm. I've heard all the skepticism. I've heard all the uh, throw it away and start over. <laughs> um, we very much took an approach in our code base of saying, we're going to have one code base, develop cloud first, deliver continuously, uh, have a sprintly release train that we publish. We do we happen to do three-week sprints globally. Um, we're in 131 now. And you can see everything we've done over the years and what, what's planned on the backlog on in the docs. And um, you can see how our velocity is increasing uh, with a sort of Moore's Law effect. And the beauty of that is that, you know, I can say, look, you know, our baby's ugly too, and um, and if you say your baby's ugly, you uh, get them people to say, well, not really, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. And you get to talk about your problems, and you get to say, look, you know, it, these things. Here's some things that took years. Mm. So you, you, you think having lived lived through this transformation yourself from monolith to microservices, from the legendary three-year Microsoft cycles to what you just said, like you can have more empathy of it's not a, an overnight switch. Right, it's not an overnight switch. I have a ton of empathy for folks who are doing this. I have a ton of empathy for the change agents in enterprises who are trying to get them to recognize that they are software companies and they need to behave like software companies. I have a lot of uh, visits from companies who, you know, do the West Coast tour and ask, hmm. well, how do you work? You know, show us, show us what you do so we can learn from it. Mm -hmm. And a lot of empathy for, for customers who are saying, we don't know where to start. Yeah. You, know? you sort of hear people talk about the, the complexity of, of where the DevOps world has, has gotten to be. And you, you talked earlier about... You know, you're starting Hello World and there's pipelines in it versus maybe 20 years ago when, when you started Hello World, it was filed, new project, and, you know, you compiled it a minute later and, and it ran on your machine. And so how, how, how do those people, when they're, when they're doing their West Coast tour and we show them, well, you know, all you need to do for, for this microservice world is, is set up Kubernetes and set up pipelines and, and, and set up all, all this complexity. How do we, um, I suppose, how, how do we tell them in a straight face that, 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 that it's a better way to be? Well, let's, let's go to the hello world part of the question first. Okay, so today, um, I can't demo this on a podcast, but <laughs> you can literally start at the Azure portal 
click the plus sign uh, for create a new resource. Click DevOps project. Mm -hmm. And you then choose uh, what uh, technology do you want to work with? Java, Node, mm -hmm. um, .NET, Python, etc. And uh, based on that, then what framework do you want? If it's Java, you get to pick Spring or something mm -hmm. else. If it's Node, you get to pick Express or something else or mm -hmm. whatever. And then, um, do you want this on? Do you want this containerized on Linux? Do you want this on mm -hmm. a straight Windows VM? And uh, then you uh, identify which account, mm -hmm. and you click Start. And uh, in four minutes, mm -hmm. you have a Hello World site that is deployed in the cloud, mm -hmm. running with end-to-end -end everything. If you editable, if you edit the code and make a new commit, you'll see it when you refresh the website. Mm -hmm. And that's the you know. That we think is the new normal hello world. Mm -hmm. and, and I'd say in some ways that's that's better than what we did 20 years ago when we might have had built something in Visual Basic, but we didn't know how to build an installer. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, like you, you might have something that could run locally, but you did, still had to do all the steps just to get it off your machine that were actually pretty it's hard. It's got to another human. Right. Well, you know, there's this, there's this thing in the theory of constraints about um, uh, uh, att attacking the next bottleneck. Quote, elevate the constraint. As, as Ellie Goldratt uh, wrote. And 20 years ago, the I, constraint was getting the hardware yeah. mm -hmm. and getting it set up and getting the networking set up and all this other crap. Yeah. So the like, fact that it took a while to uh, package the app for deployment was not the big deal. Okay. Today, the infrastructure is available. It's flexible. It's instant. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. That constraint is gone. Well, I, I I remember like we used to just have the installer team. Yeah. Like you had a team who would build the nice installer. Yeah. What a ridiculous thing. Well, I mean, yeah. Like, and it's like, well, yes, it is harder to get a hello world going, but like to have somebody else see it, you've already felt that 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 pain is gone. Yeah. The I mean, the the more you you uh, get out of the cruft of these handoffs of specializations that are there to overcome the waste of the process. Yeah, like, uh, the more you get that direct contact between developer and end user. Yeah. And that really is what is, I think, driving this industry. I think that's what's so exciting about the new generation that we're, we're bringing into uh -huh. this industry because what they are experiencing is the chance to make a difference now. Mm -hmm. put, know, put something in front of a customer immediately. Right. Yeah. yeah, do wow. something in minutes. Mm -hmm. Do more in hours. Mm -hmm. Whereas um, in the past, you know, months to get uh, yeah. just to get a deployment. Well, because mm -hmm. and then you had ridiculous. to because you had to worry about somebody going and getting your zip or your tar file. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you hope that they could install it, and God, you know, if they had to put it on their own database or in their own hardware, you had to worry about all that getting configured too. Right, and mm -hmm. so, so what, so what happened in the old days is you had, is you basically had, um, you know, developers discovering that they wanted to work faster and 
you know, in 2001, we had the Agile Manifesto, but we still had ITIL, which basically was how you prevent change in operations. Mm -hmm. um, and then, uh, you know, maybe 2007 or something like that, we started having Agile Admin, and then um, uh, that morphed into DevOps. Yep. And so we're now like, you know, uh, with DevOps, maybe where we were with Agile in 2010. I agree. Mm -hmm. And if you think about it from a technology lifecycle adoption perspective, at the point where the early majority is saying, wait a minute, this obviously works, and we can obviously derive benefit from this, and we will uh, disrupt or be disrupted. Yeah. And they see that the other thing that they see uh, correctly is that this acceleration in the world is leading to uh, a shortening of the value of any particular choice you make today. So the life cycle of your product or your service today is a lot shorter than it was a decade ago. Yeah. So the business consequence of that is you need to be able to make decisions about whether to persevere or pivot much, much, much more frequently. So effectively, the pace at which you can get the feedback from what's really performing, performing in the sense of people are using and liking and mm -hmm. recommending and performing in the sense of the quality of service you're mm -hmm. delivering, the more quickly you can get that feedback loop and act on that feedback loop, the more opportunities you have to learn or succeed. Yeah. So let, me, let me ask you about that because the you know we, we've been talking about this and you know, one engineering system or, or whatever you know set of, of eight or ten tools which sort of together uh, form the form the set of things you need to do to, to iterate rapidly and, and to go to market faster. And, and my, my question is are, are we done? <laughs> and what, what, what I mean by that is are, are there, you know, the, the, there's some sort of like you know complexity that comes from this, uh, knowing knowing how to build the pipelines and, and Kubernetes and Kafka and what, whatever else you need to you know to build the whole thing. Did you say Kafka or Kafka? I, I said I said yeah. Kafka, um, but just just like just like the 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 tools that are involved in in bringing a, a product to market today in in an agile way, um, and and they've they've sprung up and and gotten larger and and so on over the last ten years, but. You know, is is that going to keep going? Are 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 we going to see more and more tools that we need to fit into to that thing? Like if 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 you have feature flags and you have CI and you have code hosting and you have you know Python and, and Django or whatever, are are, are you kind of done? Or I'll tell tell you one tool that I saw today it was it was launched on, on Hacker News or something, and it was a um uh an an edge delivery system for machine learning. Mm-hmm. And it's just just you know one of the one of the random dev tools that, that sort of launch every day, and you know is is this one of the tools that is eventually going to find its way into you know when when you start a project you need an, an edge deployment tool for machine learning as part of your as part of your pipeline as well, and so are we going to see over the next ten years a sort of an explosion in what we call what we think of as as the one system of what, of of what we need to build quickly. I think the pace of, of uh, innovation and disruption is going to continue to accelerate. So I for for dev teams too. Yes, mm -hmm. I I think that today's core that is differentiating 
becomes tomorrow's context. Mm -hmm. And I think that that happens ever more quickly. Great example, you know, you talked about machine learning at the edge. Well, um, in fact, what people are doing is they're trying to combine lightweight machine learning at the edge with deep learning mm -hmm. uh, at the service. And mm -hmm. the compute's becoming more available, so the uh, amount of data is growing at exponential rates, and the the amount of learning that happens off of that is growing much more. So people try to do things they never could do before. Mm -hmm. That kind of change, uh, I think, is is not going to slow down. Now, I do think on the principle of today's core becomes tomorrow's context, mm -hmm. the things that you worry about uh, in terms of where we need to differentiate, where we need to be better, where we need to pick up the best thing, that does change. I basically think that, you know, people aren't going to be arguing about continuous delivery pipeline. And sure, the, the need for CI, yeah. the need for yeah. manager flag. It'll, okay. it'll just be assumed. Mm -hmm. but, but the kinds of things they're going to be doing, mm -hmm. uh, horrifically larger volumes of mm -hmm. data, yeah, yeah. and... Uh, the the kinds of computing they're going to try to do where where it's really the data that's determining mm -hmm. uh, what uh, you're doing that will be different. Mm -hmm. So how are we going to manage uh, this sort of complexity? Like for for a developer, if we just keep you know jamming in new services and new things that 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 we need to be able to do, but we're not you know we're elevating the context to a certain sense. A sense the the what was it today's something is tomorrow's context today today's core is tomorrow's today context. To, today's core is tomorrow's context well tomorrow's core is the next day's context that's and correct. and we've you know now we've got you know so many things that we need to know in order to be able to to deliver a service uh, are are we sort of painting ourselves into a corner and how do we manage that that complexity if you have to know a lot to do the basics mm -hmm. you're wasting your time learning the wrong stuff. Mm -hmm. Okay, so uh, you you know you asked about the tool chain thing. So I think t time spent cobbling together a tool chain when you don't need to spend it on that mm -hmm. is you still need to be aware of of all the components in the tool chain. But do you? I mean, like I mean, if you, uh, I mean, like can you build I, with feature flags if you don't first learn about a feature flag yeah, or, or what what the elements of the pipeline are? So this is a great example. Okay, you talk about feature flags. How many people today know how to do meaningful metrics? So one of the learnings... Far fewer than think they can. Right. One of the... Exactly. One of the, the significant learnings is that designing good metrics is as difficult as designing good features. Mm -hmm. And the metrics that you need to drive your business change... Mm -hmm. And you need to be able to uh, respond and adapt at that level of, of, frankly, business KPIs with this rapidity too. Now, do I need to know that behind the feature flags there's a CDN that is mm -hmm. uh, giving me so many milliseconds of, of performance advantage and... Uh, allowing both code paths to uh, uh, coexist and that that gets 
multiplied in this combinatorial metrics and be able to keep all that in my head? Mm-hmm. No. I do need to, to be able to capture the trace when there's a live site incident. I mm-hmm. do need to be able to manage the feature flag in real time. Mm-hmm. I do need to be good at formulating the hypotheses that motivate the things that I want to put behind those feature flags. Mm-hmm. And that is uh, is new learning, new, new, new muscle, new skills. Mm-hmm that uh, uh, we need to do. Those are, you know, mm-hmm. those are moves in tomorrow's Olympics that you're not seeing on the slopes today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's a triple axle or that's the quintuple axle today's triple Lutz. Right. I mean, you, you see these things that if you look at the Olympics today versus 20 years ago or what have you, you see people doing stuff that no one would have dreamed of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And, um, and I think in the case of our industry, it, it's more dramatic. I mean, mm-hmm. when, when people are able to talk about um, uh, computational biology and machine-assisted mm-hmm. uh, uh, medical diagnosis, when, uh, when you have uh, a speech as a service, image recognition as a service, mm-hmm. all these possibilities start opening up that... Mm-hmm. that we're not there before. Yeah. So do, do you see that in like 10 years time in, in like the you know, visual studio team services is going to have those, those things as, as the core feature set? I don't know what the, you know, product name will be, or I don't know what, sure, the, sure, sure. you know, the, um, uh, uh, mix will be. I do think people will be using, uh, services, uh, in 10 years that we cannot imagine today. Um, I think that uh, the expectation for what computers will do in 10 years or or I, I, computers is a bad word for what, you know, devices will do in 10 years um, is uh, uh, wildly different. I mean, you know, the uh, 10 years ago, a mobile phone could do voice and maybe SMS messaging. Today, when people are saying, let me get my phone, what are they doing? They're ordering a ride on Lyft. They're, you know, uh, uh, sharing photos. They're using apps that were, you you know, that if you talked about 10 years ago, you people would have just thought you're nuts. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then you get into the whole, then you get into the whole uh, IoT transformation and what that will do to the computing model, you know, and, and that's, that's clearly breeding this intelligent edge, intelligent cloud combination. And that will breed a whole new way of working. And the challenges we're going to deal with are not going to be, you know, stitching together our authentication credentials uh, for these different tools. I mean, we'll, we'll still need to do that. We'll need to have secure authentication. Mm-hmm. We're not going to be. We're so you, not gonna be you think we'll build better abstractions for the things yes. that we have today? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that you know the stuff today, where you, you know, you start by learning, you know, how to use SSH keys and how do you deal with paths and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Right. 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 It's like you know yeah, we're going to get enough. over that. Yeah. Right. We'll we'll get the identity and authentication thing mm-hmm. down. And, you know, and I certainly hope we get down the, 
uh, in that world, distinguishing humans from non-human mm-hmm. identities. <laughs> um, well, that, that's what you say as a human. <laughs> that's what I say as a human. You're right. I mean, you know, there's stuff like the, um, uh, what's the new Dan Brown book, which essentially is about, you know, the, the uh, AI emergence and yeah. the, the plot revolves around uh, essentially the, the computer outsmarting its master. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's Terminator. Um, <laughs> yeah. I feel like I've read a hundred of these books. That's kind of the, the scary side of it. Mm-hmm. I'm well, I presume the AI is, is going to look at how to set up its SSH keys in the path and, and then start learning about Kubernetes and be like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm actually not going to do this. This this doesn't seem worth it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's going to become, it, it'll be plumbing taken care of for yeah, you. Yeah, that's my theory. Um, so we, we talked about the way off future. I, I love the way you framed it in terms of the early majority. What's your message to the people behind the early majority? Uh, I, one of the things that um, put up on the web is devopsassessment.net, and it's a self-service tool to figure out how your performance is and where your bottlenecks are and where you might improve. But you have to care to even take this. Agreed. Okay, so creative destruction is a fact of the way our economy works, right? It is... Um, and, and I don't mean this as, I, I don't pretend to be a libertarian, I don't pretend to be a, you know, a, a believer in that regulation is bad or what have you, but, you know, if you take something like, you know, the um, Fortune 100 list or you take the um, uh, any other uh, ranking of companies, the longevity of companies on that list goes down every year. Okay, so they get replaced. And value shifts to the innovators. Now, the folks who are trailing behind can say, we're not bothered by this. Or they can say, huh, we need to change because this is where value gets created. Um, Now, I think the dark underbelly of this is that a lot of people, instead of saying we need to change and we have the power, say we see change and we feel threatened Mm. and we get into the kind of, of totally dysfunctional um, politics that we have uh, today around the globe because people feel threatened by the rate of change. Mm. Um, again, I think there are, you know, uh, many points of light in this uh, where uh, instead of being a victim of change, you can be an enabler of change. And um, my message to people who are there is, you know, open your eyes, recognize what you don't know. There was a great, there was a great, great, great um, uh, HBR article uh, and then became a book called The Real Reason People Won't Change. Others were Keegan and Leahy, who were uh, two, uh, I think, two um, 
uh, Harvard professors in the psychology or something like that. And, and essentially the, and, and, and just read the article form, um, uh, from HBR. Uh, you don't need the book. Essentially what they talk about is stages of maturity and self-awareness and that, uh, people don't, change because of a fear and a fear that is not recognized and their whole technique is to bring that fear to consciousness what are you really afraid of and what would be the worst thing that would happen and what if and you it you know you can think of it as like the the toyota five whys but instead the five what ifs and and you confront what if you do nothing yeah. as opposed to what if you take action. Yeah, the, the lack of a decision is a decision. Exactly. Like the lack of a decision is just saying, hey, I'm just going to be doing this. Yeah. So, so I mean, this is, you know, this is the victim enabler um, tr triangle thing. The um, are you going to be, you know, are you going to frame the world? as a place that does stuff to you, or are you gonna frame it as a place where you can do things? And uh, if you just flip that perspective, you'll discover you can do things. Other people can, have done things. You can learn from that. Uh, you can experiment. You can uh, treat experiments not as things from which you fail, but things from which you learn. Yeah. I think that's such a great note to end on. Any, the, the yeah, no, that's wonderful. Yeah. Any, any, any final, final thoughts, Sam? Thank you for having me. Oh, it's so wonderful you to have you. You guys are really great. I'm, it's uh, uh, so much fun to be here. And uh, it's been such a beautiful week here. Thank you. Oh, it's great to have you. Thanks for listening to this episode of To Be Continuous, brought to you by Heavybit and hosted by me, Paul Baker of CircleCI, and Edith Harbaugh of LaunchDarkly. To learn more about Heavybit, visit heavybit.com. While you're there, check out their library, home to great educational talks from other developer company founders and industry leaders. 